You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics. This week, I'm going to share an interview with Evan Dame, a member of the town council in the town of North Brentwood, Maryland. But before we get to that, I have an announcement or an invitation or something like that. For the last five years, we've been developing classes and workshops on faith and politics that have left people encouraged, motivated, and challenged in a positive way. We've had college students tell us that our classes have helped them learn to think more clearly and more critically in light of their faith. We've had political professionals tell us that we've given them whole new ways of understanding what their faith means for their political life. And we've had Christians of every stripe tell us that they hadn't realized how much they can actually understand and even care about people on the other side of the aisle. The thing is, we've only ever made our classes available to specific groups of people. Unless you went to a conference we were speaking at, or worked for a ministry organization that had us lead a training for their staff, or attended a church that brought us in for a workshop, you didn't get to take our classes. Until now. This fall, for the first time ever, we're offering our Christian Civics Foundations classes to anyone who wants to attend. This is a six-week interactive online workshop that's going to give you the chance to meet with like-minded believers from around the country and work through, together, how our faith changes our approaches to civic responsibility and political partisanship. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or you feel like you don't fit in anywhere, whether you're at every city council meeting or you don't even know who your senators are, whether you're brand new to the Christian faith or you've been part of a church your whole life, this course will encourage you. This course will challenge you to go deeper in your faith. And this course will... Well, we say it every week here on the podcast, but this course will give you practical things you can do to think, speak, and act differently in the public square because of your faith. It's six weeks long. It's going to take place on Tuesday nights, and it's going to start in October. Visit our website, christiancivics.org, to register for the course or to learn more about it. Registration starts today. It's open now. Now, time to get to the meat of the episode. This week, we're welcoming Evan Dame to the podcast. I met Evan when he attended a class we led at a church here in D.C. And at the time that I met him, he had just recently started serving as a town council member in a small town just outside of D.C. called North Brentwood. Town council in North Brentwood is a part-time job, so he has another full-time job on top of it. But I wanted to talk to him about what making this transition into serving as an elected official was like for him. He's someone who cares about the place he lives, as you'll hear, he grew up there. And so I thought it would be interesting to hear from a brother in Christ 
who's just starting to make this transition into loving the city God has carried him into in this new way. We're going to jump right into my conversation with Evan right after I had asked him whether city council was a job he was always aiming for. Then after the interview, we'll come back for some reflection and prayer. It's not a job I particularly always wanted, but I wasn't always aware of town council. I always knew the mayor of the town because I was actually raised directly next door to the mayor, to two mayors, actually. They were a brother and sister pair who ran consecutive terms for my entire life, my entire childhood anyway. Into adulthood, my mother's best friend ran for mayor, and so... While I wasn't aware of town council, I always knew a mayor from as far back as I can remember. I became more aware of town council probably in my late 20s when I started to attend council meetings. My my mom, she's always been very much civically engaged while I wasn't, but she eventually would ask me, you know, hey, come to a meeting with me, see what it's all about, how important local government is. It's not just about the president. That's not about Congress. Like municipal government is who makes the decisions that directly affect you as a resident of the town. That was a persuasive enough argument for me. So I started to attend meetings at least as often as I can, not all the time, but as often as I could at the time. That eventually led me to want to be in, want to become a council person. If you remember the first couple of times you went to some of those council meetings, what were your impressions? What, why did you come back a second time? My first impression was I didn't realize how long the meetings were. That was hours and hours. But my second impression was I was rather impressed with all that goes into the administration of a town. We, like you said, you see a lot of elected officials at whatever level, you see them in public, but you never really know what goes on behind the scenes, what what you have to vote on, when how you decide spending, what issues you prioritize. It's a lot of decision-making and a lot of planning that goes into running a town that uh, is often overlooked from what I witness. What's the difference between what you thought or expected before you started going to these meetings and what you actually saw? Talk a little bit more about where that gulf between expectation and reality was. So initially I thought as an elected official, the, the main thing you do is listen to residents complaint. That's You are the complaint department. Anytime a citizen has an issue or a problem that needs a resolution, they are to come to you immediately. And that makes up the crux of your day or your position. But while it actually accounts for a small percentage, a lot of it, most of it that I found is deciding how to spend money, deciding how to improve the town, whether it's roadways, whether it's schools or parks or figuring out how to accommodate people with disabilities or how to resolve tensions between new neighbors and old residents. It's it's a lot more than just listening to people talk about their problems, their individual problems. Like you have, it's, it's a lot you have to address, especially in a town where like North Brentwood, when the council people wear multiple hats. So we have to take on a lot individually. You said in a town like North Brentwood, tell us a little bit more about the town. You said it's a small town in Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C. How 
big is it when you say small, for example? So actually, I should, I'm actually going to correct that and say tiny. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the oldest black municipality in Maryland, North Brentwood. It was founded 97 years ago by former slaves. And it's been predominantly black ever since then. It's a small town because we may have a thousand residents. So That is very small. Yes. Yes. We may have a thousand residents. And it's a good thing in that as a council person, you do get to know a lot of your residents personally. And so they feel more comfortable approaching you and, and talking to you, you know, on a friend level, more so than an elected official. And not many residents get that opportunity. You vote for someone, but how often do you get to sit on their porch and just have, have lunch and talk to them about what's going on, even if it's not anything to do with the town? A lot of residents have ideas of how to improve the town. And they come to me and they present these ideas. And so I enjoy that, that they feel comfortable enough with me to do that. So that's what I mean by a tiny town. It's it's very tiny, but it's also very family oriented and very close knit. And it's a true quintessential community. How big is the council if the community is only has a population of about a thousand? It's four of us, including okay. the mayor. Yes. And what was your relationship with the town council or your predecessor or with the movers and shakers of city government like before you decided to run? Did you get to know anyone who was actually on the council before you ran or were you coming into this blind? I did. I knew the mayor as a really good friend of my mother's. But I, on a personal level, there was one council person that I really developed a, a close relationship with. And it's because he was a young black male who was an elected official, which I hadn't encountered, at least not often. And so that impressed me and made me recognize that, you know, I have an ability or an op opportunity to affect change in the town if I wanted to run. Because the first time I encountered him was at a meeting and he was giving a presentation and I was just really impressed. And I was and I said, wow, this is a young black guy like myself who's not only civically engaged, but he's actually a leader and a municipal official. It kind of inspired me to run when, I, when a seat was available. And what were your goals. You were inspired by seeing that it's possible, but what were you hoping to be able to do as a member of town council that you weren't able to do not on the council? One goal was to be able to have a bigger voice as far as decision-making goals, not only within the town, but even within the county. Because as a municipal official, you also are tasked with communicating with county officials, state officials, just doesn't start and stop at the town. So I wanted to be given that opportunity not only to communicate, but to network and meet people in higher levels of government that maybe could help not only me, but us as a town improve, improve things, at least where we could when funds were available, when the opportunity was available. And I think town council has given me that, that ability. How did that pan out? Have you been able to form better relationships with the county and with the state to advocate for your neighbors? Yes. Um, we've, our, our local congressperson, our local county of elected officials, our state delegates, we have very close-knit relationships with all of them, not only because we're a pretty, pretty vocal council, despite our size, but also um, North Brinkwood is a pretty well-respected town in Prince George's County be because of its history. When people 
from North Brentwood, particularly the council, and the council from North Brentwood speaks up about issues is usually heard. Now, I can't say it was always resolved the way we would like. That's not feasible all the time. But we're at least always heard. And I've seen that happen. It would be easy for people listening to this, I think, to or to walk away from listening to this thinking so far that improving things must be a zero-sum game, that you wanted to be a stronger advocate for North Brentwood so that you could get resources or help or attention that was currently being given to other places instead. Is that the way this has worked out? Is it zero-sum or has have other communities around you been able to benefit from your town being more present, more vocal? Most recently, it's definitely been a rising tide lifting all boats. During the pandemic, a lot of the local communities, neighboring communities right on Baltimore and Rhode Island Avenue on Route 1, have really come together to provide and share resources amongst the towns, whether it's monies or food giveaways or volunteers needed. Leadership has really stepped up because we recognize that it's n- no man is an island among himself. And North Point being the tiny town it, it is, we have relied on bigger towns and bigger cities to be there for us when we need it. In fact, another councilman has started an entire organization, uh, which is a coalition of mis- municipalities whose goal right now is to share resources, especially, you know, like when it comes to mental health and poverty and to ensure that all towns, all the towns have what they need and not just one or the other. You said recently it's been more of a rising tide. Was it more of a butting heads or competition before the pandemic? It was more of, I want this for my town and I don't, I'm not concerned with the other towns. It wasn't a competition. It was just almost apathy, really. I'm just here for North Brentwood. Not that I don't care, but I don't prioritize other towns' needs. I'm the top priority, and whatever I can do to get the the resources I need, I get them. Things change. Leadership changes. And you recognize that sometimes that isn't always the best approach, that if everyone can get what they need or compromises can be made, it usually works out for the best. I know that North Brentwood Town Council is technically as far as government is concerned, a part-time position. You're expected that it's not your primary nine to five, but how many hours a week or a month is this part-time governing position actually demanding of you? The hardest thing when you become an elected official, your schedule, for lack of a better term, becomes insane. You're not only required to represent the town, you're required to represent your district, You're required to represent your county. You're required to represent your state. And there are organizations and committees at every level of a government that you are encouraged to be a member of or participate in. And so that is very time consuming, can be quite hectic, especially if you're a council person like myself and have a full time job. So it's basically like having two full-time jobs at times. So you, if you decide to run for an elected office, be, be prepared to commit quite a bit of time and energy to it. If you have two to three hour meetings every day on top of tasks you have to complete for whatever committee you're a part of, on top of calls you have to make and other meetings you have to schedule and people you have to talk to, it could be quite demanding and you just have to make time for it. This was the process of a couple of years, but my wife and I 
were part of a group of neighbors that worked on getting a couple parks in our neighborhood redeveloped. And we worked with, in my city, the most local level of government is the ANC. But we worked with our ANC representative and our city council representative and the Department of Parks and Rec and the Department of Public Safety. And I realized at one point that all of the meetings we were having about these things were in the evening after most people with nine to five or nine to seven jobs were off from work. And our city council member was still in the middle of his work day. Our park designer, it was seven, eight o'clock at night, and he was still needing to go to a part of town he didn't live in to meet with people he didn't know. Our ANC rep, which is ostensibly a part-time position, needed to be there facilitating, coordinating the meeting. There are similar projects happening throughout the city, and it's only one of dozens of different things different clusters of constituents care about that demand time from the ANC person or demand time from the city council member. So I guess this is a really long-winded way of asking, are you getting enough rest? How do you handle (laughs) Sabbathing? You're a Christian. You believe we're not designed to work ourselves to death and still be spiritually healthy, I assume. So how do you make time for that spiritual discipline of rest when You can go through seasons where serving such a small number of neighbors, representing 250 people, that is enough work to logistically keep you from resting for quite a while. That is very true. And it's funny you mentioned that because I hadn't realized my lack of rest until well, sometime last year. And Pastor Watson from Christ City had mentioned Sabbath in one of his sermons. And it made me go through a bit of a introspection and analyze my day-to-day activities and tasks. And I recognized that I did not make enough time for myself. And so ever since then, I've been trying my best to make an effort to do so. But sometimes it's difficult because I, I don't like to leave things lying or waiting, especially when others are dependent upon a task I complete. But now I actually set a reminder in my phone at nine o'clock every night, I shut down no matter what I have, what is to be done, unless it's an an emergency and can absolutely cannot wait until tomorrow at nine o'clock. I shut down. My phone is on. Do not disturb. But before, yeah, it was just work, do this, do to get this done, rest when I can up at four o'clock in the morning. But no, now I make a a much more conscious effort to ensure I have a work-life balance. Drawing that limit and like making sure that you're actually giving yourself some kind of rhythm of work and rest that I think is consistent with what the Bible tells us humans are actually designed for. Has that ever put you in conflict with what your neighbors or your constituents expect of you? Oh, definitely. Because North Burnwood is such a close-knit community, I often get texts from neighbors all times of night. And if it's an issue they're particularly concerned about and they don't hear back within a timely fashion, sometimes they can get pretty irate. The mayor and other council have experienced this as well. If they don't hear back right away, then we're ignoring them or we don't care about their issues. But we really do. We just can't prioritize every issue. But if you text me or email me at 1030 in the evening, I'm sorry, you don't expect a response right away. And But I do respond when I can. I'm not, I don't ignore anyone. But that's probably the toughest conflict there is 
residents being so close to us as a council that they expect responses or contact from us at all times of the day or evening. And on top of expecting the kind of rapid response from you, regardless of time, aside from that, are there examples where your neighbors don't expect too much of you, but do expect too much of the city, where they're asking for things that are beyond the scope of what the town council works on? Oh, yeah, definitely. A big issue is restaurants or stores. Like a lot of our residents, because the town itself used to be majority older residents who have been living there for decades or um, generations. But recently there have there have been an influx of millennials, gentrification, if you will. And so, um, of course, they have different desires than older residents. Older residents are happy with the town the way it is. They don't want many changes. A lot of our newer residents recommend bringing in restaurants or Trader Joe's or something that is pretty much is out of our wheelhouse. These are decisions made at in the county level. It's based on zoning and all kind of laws, parameters, and procedures that we don't really have any control over. Now, of course, if the interest is high enough, they can do they can do a study and see if a particular store or you know shopping center or whatever is feasible in that area. But it's not anything that we are capable of doing ourselves as a town council. And what about expecting too little? Have there been times when you've realized that your neighbors or even friends who live in other towns don't appreciate how much can actually be accomplished through their municipal governments or through engaging with the governmental institutions around them? I'm glad you asked that question because I say between 90 to 95% of the people I meet have absolutely no clue um, about local government and what that entails. Because you can even see at the voting booths, the voter turnout for municipal government, a city or town is lucky if they get five to 10% of the residents out to vote. Whereas bigger in the presidential election, people come out in droves but your local officials are the ones who affect you directly and are the ones who will actually listen to your problems and try their best to do something about it. What do you think that lack of engagement on the municipal level does to the quality and performance of local government? And do you think that has an effect on state and federal level government? I think it has a huge effect because when you don't vote, at least that part of your voice isn't heard or recognized. We as a council have decisions we need to make for the town. And if residents don't show interest, essentially the council can do whatever they want. Even if you don't, if you don't like the way you're being served, you should really come out and vote because those who were elected, the voters chose them. And if they don't represent your issues well enough, Take the opportunity to do something about it, even if you want to run yourself. I always encourage action, like political action in my town. Even if someone runs against me and I lose, I'm happy because I hopefully that person may possibly do a better job than me. And also when you're, as I stated earlier, as a municipal official, you have a voice on the county interstate. It doesn't just stop in the town. You may have issues or concerns that can only be addressed by the county you live in or the state you live in. And as an elected official, you'll have opportunities to address those on each of those levels. And people will listen. 
you had mentioned that higher levels, like someone in the Oval Office might be dealing with things that are a little bit more removed from the voters' day-to-day lives. But there are only two ways you get to be in that higher office. You either make a really high-profile career change, Mm -hmm. where you were a known quantity and now you're going to pursue presidency, or you matriculate up through other governmental offices. The thing I will frequently tell people is if you want better senators, if you want better congressional representation, if you want a better president, you have to start now by investing in building a better bench full of people in local government so that when state level positions open up, there are experienced people who have done good work, who have actually like gotten the time to be known by their constituents, ready for the job at the local level. There's city council members, there are county reps, there are mayors who have been taught to do good work by their constituents who are ready to be state senators or ready to be governors who then form the farm team for positions in D.C. When it comes to encouraging people to get invested on the local level, If you're not going to do it for the sake of better local government, then do it for the sake of giving people 10 years from now better options for Congress. That is a very good point. Yeah. These local officials could one day be your congressman, could be one, even one day be your president. One thing I found about local, like higher government officials, they do remember the towns they came from and who put them there, who gave them their start. So do what we can to teach them what behavior gets rewarded in office and make sure that the behavior that gets rewarded is what we actually want to see and what would actually help make our communities stronger. Exactly. And said it better myself. One of the things we talk about in our classes often is the way that a lot of the responsibilities that rested on the shoulders of monarchs in most of the eras of biblical literature are actually divvied up and distributed and handled collectively by the citizens in the U.S., the 300 million person Pharaoh committee, we call it. Right. But that leaves people like you in a very, I imagine, difficult to navigate tension where you can oscillate back and forth between seeing yourself as the servant or functionary of the people hired to do specific things that they endorse for you to do. Mm -hmm. Or you can see yourself as having a certain set of authority and decision making delegated to you or entrusted to you by them to handle as you w- mostly as you will for a couple years with periodic performance reviews in the form of elections. How do you navigate that really weird position you're hired into where you're simultaneously a public servant who the public then often talks about you in terms of leadership? Now, the best way that I tackle that is to look at examples of other elected officials that I I respect because I'm still fairly new to this. So by looking toward those who have been an elected official on whatever level for some time and getting advice from them of how best to navigate the two roles is how I approach it. What would be easier about figuring that out if you weren't a Christian? How does your faith complicate the way you approach this work? Faith complicates things because as a Christian, you want to ensure that your emotions are kept in check. And 
certain language isn't used when you're frustrated and certain behaviors aren't exhibited when you're tired or exhausted from the job. So prayer is definitely my go-to when I need not only guidance, but when I need patience. Because uh, a role like this will definitely try your patience and you will have to lean on God all the time. And not only just God, but your church family, your Christian brothers and sisters. And honestly, the great thing about North Brentwood is that our the First Baptist Church of North Brentwood is also very historic. And we often work together on many of our initiatives. The, In fact, the former pastor of that church was one of the people who encouraged me to be a leader at a very young age while I was in the church. So while I'm new to a council person's role, I'm definitely not new to leadership as my leadership was cultivated and even founded within my church I grew up in as a child. Before we close out, is there anything you want us to hit on that we haven't yet? We have hit on it, but I just want to encourage anyone who listens to this podcast to please vote for your local elected officials. Go to meetings, call, get to know whoever is representing you, whatever ward you live in, because you never know what change you can affect as a citizen and as a resident, because you do have power too beyond just voting. People, our elected officials will listen to you. If they care about their job and care about your vote, they'll listen. And so I encourage people, please use your voice and use whatever avenue is available to you to communicate to your municipal and city and town officials. All right. That was my interview with Evan Dame, city council member in North Brentwood, Maryland. One of the things Evan brought up in our conversation was the demands that get placed on his time by his job as a town council member. It's a part-time job. Town council members in his town are generally expected to have other jobs, and their work on the town council is a nights and weekends thing or a kind of a side gig but he still ends up putting in full-time hours a lot of the time. And he ends up effectively being on call to his neighbors most of the time. Just before my interview with Evan, I was talking with my good friend and Christian Civics co-founder, Danny Leva, about his time working on Capitol Hill. He was a full-time staff member for someone who was, at the time, Speaker of the House and When we were talking about his time working on the Hill, the same topic came up. The bulk of your attention in life goes to the job. Congress meets on the weekends. Congress meets late at night. There are votes that have been at two in the morning. Your boss has to participate in that by the function of his job. It's his responsibility to vote and to be informed. And who does the informing? A staffer. They have to be available. You know, the reason why I left DC was because I wanted to have a family and a good family life. I wanted to be there for my child. I wanted to be around my wife and not have to be on call 24-7. When you first start working in Congress and you're given an office cell phone, it's exciting. You feel some level of authority. You feel some level of legitimacy. But the higher you go, the more that rings, the less time you have for your actual life. And so when you're devoting, you know, X amount of hours, the majority of hours of your day and your life to this one other person, that's not your significant other, your family, or even your close friend or anyone that you would not associate with 
outside of your family or friends, that that's a high cost. Human beings are meant to have governments. Government is an institution that the Bible says is a legitimate part of God's plan for humanity. And throughout human history, people have generally recognized that managing government well demands a lot of skill, a lot of wisdom, and a lot of work. It's right that serving in elected office takes time. It's right that working as a staff member for those people in elected office would also demand your best work and demand sincere dedication to governing well. But the citizens of this country are the ones who hire our elected officials. The citizens of this country are the ones who make demands of our elected officials and make demands of their staff members. We are people who are entitled to the time the attention, and the sympathy of people who work in government. And as people who are entitled to that time, that attention, and that sympathy, we also need to think about being merciful in the way we make those demands. I think that the gospel calls us to always be on the lookout for the places where we tend to have unreasonable expectations or even merciless expectations of other people. The places where we kind of think that we're entitled to be served as though serving us doesn't cost other people anything. Even if we're only nursing that expectation in our own hearts, if we're grumbling quietly or holding on to our resentments and not telling anyone about it, we have to be on the lookout for those moments where we dehumanize other people by expecting inhuman performance from them. And then when we recognize those moments, we have to start figuring out how we can actively invest in the other people's health and flourishing instead of just resenting the fact that they're humans and humans are limited and humans get worn out. And so they're never going to actually be able to fully serve us the way we wish they would. And honestly, that's... One of the reasons government work and campaign work probably wasn't a good fit for me long term. I have a tendency to view myself as a resource that it's okay if it gets used up and worn out. If I were still working for an elected official or for campaigns, or if I were fielding kind of a never ending stream of requests from constituents, it would take more discipline about rest than I have and more humility about my own limits than I have for me to be able to serve in those jobs in a way that's spiritually and physically healthy. So now let's take a few minutes and pray together that the people we've hired into government and the people who work on their staff can be better about setting those kinds of limits than we might want them to be. Heavenly Father, you've built rest into the rhythm of the world. You open your scripture with an explanation of why humans are meant to rest regularly, consistently, and honestly. But we too often think of ourselves as creations that are greater than our creator. We view the rest that you took and the rest that you say we need 
as though it were something optional for ourselves. And when other people take it, we view that as an insult or an assault or an affront against us. We're sorry for the ways we've been inhumane to the people we hire to work in government. We want them to have wisdom, to have humility, to have security and friendship and perspective. But we also need for them to have rest. We want to be merciful masters, and we want everyone we have power over or influence over to experience something of what you say it means to be fully and healthfully human. And that means we need to learn to honor not just our own limits, but the limits of others too. Help us as we get to know our elected officials, as we interact with their staffs, and as we engage with city governments to remember the limitations of what it means to be human, to respect those limitations, and even to celebrate them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that's it for this week. Thank you to Evan Dame for joining us and to Danny Leva and to our producer, Lauren Larson. If you enjoyed this episode or if it was helpful to you in any way, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give us a positive review. And if you want to go deeper into this idea of our faith redeeming our civic life, and you want to work through that with other people, then visit our website, christiancivics.org, to sign up for our Christian Civics Foundations class, which starts in October. I'm your host, Rick Barry, and we'll be back next week with more reflections on how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square.